Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Coffee and Comics Podcast. I am your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and this is the third part in my continuing holiday coverage of the Marvel Holiday Special with a 1993 cover date, meaning it hit stands in late 92. If you haven't listened to the first two parts, the entire thesis of this holiday endeavor is that back in my pre-podcasting blogging days, yeah, you know, those dark times, I reviewed this issue and its myriad stories, but I wanted to take another stab at it, this time with some friends along the way. Two stories per episode, a different guest each story. So, with all that out of the way, allow me to introduce my guest for this particular story. He's no stranger to this show, and I kind of think he enjoys a bit of slumming in order to drop by every now and again. (laughs) From the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network... Okay, I said that completely wrong, didn't I? No, no, you totally said it right. Okay. <laughs> I was like, why do you pause? You said it right. Okay. From the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network and the Bat Pod, it's Sean Ross. Uh, I actually, for this episode, want you to refer to me as your go-to Jew. <laughs> That's actually in my notes. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Is it really? That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah, That's great. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to talk some Chinooka. <laughs> That's terrible. Mostly because when I was a kid, I really wanted to know what Chinooka was. Oh, yeah. Most people do. I mean, they just had that the Smokey Robinson thing. He did like a cameo. Somebody paid for him to do a cameo thing for somebody for Hanukkah. And he was, and he literally went, happy Chinooka. And it, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, for those unaware, Sean is my unofficial, official resource for all things Jewish. (laughs) Is that particularly terrible of me? Yeah. Not at all. Maybe, but you know, Sean has yet to unfriend me over it, so here we are. (laughs) So, uh, since we brought it up, what is a brief description of Hanukkah, and why does it last eight nights? (laughs) I can't can't do the... <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an acquired skill, yeah. the Hanukkah. Uh, so it's it's a, a short, an interesting story. I'll give you the brief overview. So every Jewish holiday is about somebody trying to kill the Jews, and the Jews either escaping. It's like a choose your own adventure. If you're <laughs> you always either escaped, you overthrew them, or you died. You and if you, it's like choose your own adventures. If you get sent to page fifty six, it always means you died, right? <laughs> and so. <laughs> And so this is another one of those holidays where in the, I think it's one, like 163 BCE, the Jews were living in Judea, you know, kind of our town. If it's named Judea, we should really control it. And the Syrians were ruling that part of the land. 
And Antiochus III was like, hey, cool, Jews, do you. You you still be Jewish? Well, you're under Syrian rule, but, you know, we're cool. And then his son came into power and said, no, 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 I don't like the Jews. I don't want the Jews. I'm not cool with it. And they wanted all the Jews to convert to Hellenism, to, the, to worshiping the Greek gods. And so there was a slaughter. The Antiochus's forces slaughtered many of the Jewish people in Judea, which is always the start of a Jewish holiday. And... Uh, the Maccabees, Judah Maccabee in particular, rose up and rebelled against the Syrians, and they used guerrilla warfare tactics because they were totally outnumbered, and they were able to drive the Syrians out of Judea and get them to acquiesce to leave Judea under control of the Jews for a bit anyway until the next slaughter. And the key thing about Hanukkah is the temple in, in Judea, in Jerusalem, it was the second temple. So the first temple fell, and that, that first temple, the wall from the first temple, is the Wailing Wall. It's the holiest place in, in Jewish tradition in Israel. And so the second temple was built, and the Syrians, when they were massacring the Jews, as an affront to the Jews, went into that temple and slaughtered pigs on it. You know, and Jews, the Jews at the time, and some Jews even today, are still kosher, so they don't eat pigs. They slaughtered pigs on it, and they put up Greek gods and idols and all kinds of things, and they put a big statue of Zeus, and they just desecrated the temple, which is just an awful practice in general. And when the Jews retook the temple, they cleansed it, and they rededicated it to, to Judaism. And, and actually, Hanukkah means dedication in Hebrew. So it's a dedication. It's a rededicating of the temple. And they took the uh, menorah, a lamp, and uh, a menorah means to shine, and they only had enough oil. This is the this is the legend of Hanukkah, right? This is the religious component of it. They only had enough oil to last one night to burn one candle, but miraculously, the oil lasts for eight nights, which is why we get eight crazy nights of Hanukkah uh, to this day. And so that's kind of the gist of it. It's it's anytime you want to know about a Jewish holiday, the first question to ask was, who was killing us, and what happened? What which one of the three? options did we get so you know and i and i'm obviously being jokey and facetious it, it is also awful <laughs> you know that jews have been we've been a hunted people throughout our lifetimes and, and throughout the centuries and so you know obviously that's not great and not funny but for the purposes of this podcast i'm going to keep it light and um yeah so that's kind of where it starts wow i'm just so happy like you will translate the hebrew and stuff yeah, it's funny because Hebrew, you in Judaism, Judaism is like basically like living in Phoenix, which I do, which means that like every third word is in another language, right? <laughs> like you speak Spanglish a lot out here, which is awesome. I mean, I, I speak pidgin Spanish and I'm, I'm Mexican, so it's actually to my shame that I don't speak better Spanish. But uh, I, you know, so out here you kind of, you know, you'll pepper words in every once in a while. And Judaism is the same way. Like it, it's really funny. It's it basically going to temple is like watching a broadcaster of the local news who suddenly gets a Spanish word and thinks they know it really well. You know, like it's it's just, it's pretty great. You know, it's awesome. It's like, you know, he went to the taqueria and then, you know, then he'll like go on in his normal, you know, American English. Um, so yeah, so they pepper the words. They pepper some Hebrew words in there. And before people write you angry letters about that comment, again, I am Mexican and Jewish. I'm a Jutino. I get to make those jokes. Um, so... Yeah, so it's it's a it's a interesting holiday, and the funny part about it is it's actually not a big deal. Like it is not a major holiday for Jews. It's not even in the Torah. It's not even in our our 
holy text. It's, it's apocryphal. It comes in the uh, Talmud, which is a text that comes after the Torah, because it takes place after the Torah is given to Moses at Sinai. And so it's, a, it's an apocryphal holiday, and you know people celebrate it, and it's it's not just it's not a huge deal really outside of America. I mean, it's becoming a bigger deal in Israel because there's so much crossover between American and Israeli Jewry. But it's really not a major holiday. There's not a lot of spiritual significance to it. It really is basically counter marketing to Christmas. Like it's hey, it's the closest holiday to when Christmas usually falls. And it is a holiday, and it would be, you know, celebrated, but it has great symbols, right? It's got the menorah, and because it's a holiday about oil, you eat fried foods. So it's like, yes, like, who doesn't love fried foods? And so, you know, and you light the menorah, and you gift-giving is not at all part of the tradition, historically or religiously. And, you know, there are some scholars who try to say, oh, the giving of gifts at Hanukkah is not about competing with Christmas. It's about making Hanukkah sweeter. And it's like, well, that's bull because you don't give gifts at other holidays. It's totally about competing with, with Christmas. And there's no competing with Christmas because there's nothing sexier than Santa and a tree and a wreath. And, you know, nobody loves Christmas music more than Jews. Like, I immediately turn it to the Christmas Station channel in December. And so it is to compete with Christmas in a way because it sucks, you know, not getting Santa. You know, I don't. I don't want all the religious piece of Christmas, and it's not my. It's not my bag. But you know, Santa's kind of awesome. It's like I don't know. It's like going to a Kiss concert and only Ace Freely's <laughs> there. You know, like it just isn't. It you know it isn't necessarily what you want. But uh, but so it's kind of there to to compete with Christmas. But it's it's cool. You know, you get eight nights of gifts, which is awesome. And and uh, you know, I've kind of experienced it with my daughter, where you know, early on when she was like two and three and four, every year we'd have to have the conversation. You know, Santa isn't real, but don't tell your non-Jewish friends because you'll be the reason for anti-Semitism. You know, like, just make sure you're not the person who spoils Christmas because everybody will remember that. And so, and then now she's she's at the age where it's like, oh, I get eight nights of gifts. This is awesome. And there's just no, you know, it's all good. So that was that was kind of a brief overview of Hanukkah. But of those eight gifts, three of them are dreidels? Well, there's a sock and underwear night. I mean, there just is. And it's kind of understood when you're Jewish that like, so the way it works, and and, and I, I also, let me do a disclaimer. I am not the spokesperson for all Jews. So there are going to be some Jewish families who celebrate differently. And then there's actually three main branches of Judaism. There's Orthodox, which is very, very, very religious and serious. And, you know, and then there's a conservative, which is a little less. And then there's reform which is the hippie granola crunching Judaism, which is I'm from the reform branch. So the way I celebrate might be a little bit different than what others, other people do. So, um, but yeah, so we, the way we do it in our family is you get a big gift on the first night and you get a big gift on the last night. And then you get sort of the stuff in between peppered in between. So it's like, there really is kind of a sock and underwear night. That's what we call it in our family, <laughs> where it's like the practical gift night. And my daughter knows it. She'll even say like, hey, is tonight sock and underwear night? And we're like, yeah. And she's like, okay. <laughs> but, you know, we try to make it fun. And it is, it is, a, I mean, I like it. I really, you know, the thing about Jewish holidays in particular, but especially Hanukkah and Passover and Yom Kippur, is that every Jew in the world is celebrating at the same time. And there, there's something really powerful about that when you're from a really small population and a, a historically persecuted population, and you're never the majority in your country, and you're not even the majority, like you're not even a 
I mean, we, I think we're 0.02% of America. It's just, you know, there's something really comforting and really, uh, spiritual about knowing when you're saying the prayers over the menorah somewhere around everywhere in the world, other Jews are doing the same thing, either alone or with their families or in whatever version they're doing. And that's really cool. That's actually my favorite thing about, about Hanukkah is, is that particular piece, which is really cool. That's really awesome. All right. So fire some questions at me, buddy. Okay. Well, for one, since uh, this story that we're going to discuss takes place in Hebrew school. Yes. Did, did you actually attend Hebrew school? Uh, I not no not in this sense. I have taught Hebrew school, so uh, so when in the story, Doc Sampson shows up at a yeshiva to tell the story of Hanukkah for his beloved yeshiva teacher who has asked him to come, but he's working with a bunch of brats, and they even say it's the, and, and you can tell Peter David's Jewish. They call it the Aleph class, so the the Hebrew alphabet starts with Aleph, Bet, Vet, A, B, C. You know, basically it's the ABCs in Hebrew. Though the letters don't quite correspond, obviously, because it's a Semitic language. But an Aleph class would be the beginners. They would be the youngest group, and, and usually the unruliest group, because they're new to Hebrew school. And, you know, just to let you in behind the scenes, no one likes Hebrew school. Like, it's <laughs> it, every kid. It is a Jewish rite of passage. I've said these words to my daughter. I said, you are not a Jew until you cry because we make you go to Hebrew school. So, <laughs> so now you're a Jew because she hates it. But she doesn't. She also loves it because she has friends there. And, you know, she's like a kid. She'll kick and scream and then she'll get there and like it. And I, I look, Christian kids aren't any different, man. I had a ton of friends growing up who had to go to catechism or who had to go to, you know, Sunday school. And, and they all, none of them liked it either. But, but anyway, you know, he's at this yeshiva and he's going to tell the story of Hanukkah. And so I have taught Hebrew school before, and it is, it is exactly like this. I mean, when Peter David says this is based on a real experience, he's totally not wrong. Teaching Hebrew school, and I remember, I'm a teacher, like for a living, I have taught middle school and high schoolers. I have purposely, not by conscription or as punishment for some crime, I have purposely and willingly walked into a room with 37th graders and stood in front of them and taught them and loved every minute of it, by the way. I loved being a classroom teacher. But Sunday school, teaching Sunday school, you have to be part entertainer, part enforcer. I mean, everything you see in this story is totally true because those kids don't want to be there. And you're trying to convey to them, you know, to very young children, the, the enormity of what it means to, to be part of this, this tradition but also in a way that doesn't crush their young souls, <laughs> you know, because there's nothing better than telling a five or six year old, okay, so at this slaughter of the Jewish people, here's the, you know, here's what happened. Oh, and at this slaughter of the Jewish people, oh, and just wait till you learn about the Holocaust. Like, you know, so, so it's a really fine, uh, it's a high wire act when you teach Hebrew school between really emphasizing the joy of being Jewish and the love of the tradition and the love of the community and the people and the, you know, everything about it. That's awesome with the 2000 years of persecution. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's a little, you know, I don't know. I guess it's like going on a first date, you know, and, and having to tell them that you're unemployed or something <laughs> like, you know, you start with all your strengths and that's a bad analogy, but like you start with all your strengths and then you have to tell them you don't have a car or something, you know, like it's, you, you kind of save that part for the end. <laughs> Unless you're, you know, reverse George. 
Exactly. Which, you know, and there is no more Jewish character in the world than George Costanza. <laughs> All right. So before we completely spoil everything, <laughs> this uh, particular story is titled Revisionist History, which is uh, very ap- appropriate for this one. Yes. Uh, as we said, it's written by Peter David, pencils by John A. Bear. Inks by Mike DiCarlo, letters by Brad Joyce, and colors by Glennis Oliver. So, in the story, Dr. Leonard Sampson has returned to the classroom of his old Hebrew school teacher, Mrs. Klein, in order to relate the story of Hanukkah. One student in particular, which I could only imagine would have been Sean, but... (laughs) (laughs) I definitely felt seen. (laughs) You know, his name, Nathan... Uh, he wants to divert the conversation, asking Doc Sampson about his heroic exploits and rudely commenting afterwards, especially about his fights with the Hulk. While he relates the story, other students ask even dumber questions, con- confusing Maccabees with macaroons, and whether or not they could watch TV. When the students call out just how boring Leonard's retelling is, he decides to liven things up. The Maccabees now have giant guns. The Syrians are ruled by an Ultron robot named Antiochus. Is it pronounced Antiochus or Antiochus? Uh, Antiochus. Antiochus, okay. Jeez, why did they not make an ant joke there? Jeez. Come on, Peter David. Get with the puns. Anyway, Judea looked like Krypton. And, of course, you know, if you watch Ancient Aliens, this might not be wrong. But anyway... Even in the midst of all this, one girl keeps wanting to know why Jewish kids don't have Santa Claus. Doc, of course, ignores the question and keeps embellishing his story until it gets to the point that the Maccabees literally nuke. Say it, Sean, I can't say it. They nuke Santa. (laughs) No, they nuke Antiochus. That's right, they nuke Antiochus. Mm And then they, they drop an anvil on Yeah, But when yeah. they relate the portion about the oil burning for eight days, Nathan suggests it's probably just the human torch trolling everybody. <laughs> In fact, even Doc Sampson is tired of this kid. So when they get to the point about everybody asking about Santa one more time, Doc's fed up, and as we said, Antiochus just dropped a giant anvil on him. Yep. And to nobody's surprise... This sets the entire class crying. Ah, way to experience your first true childhood trauma, kids. (laughs) Some psychiatrist, right? (laughs) So, of course, you know, Doc Samson is sent out of the classroom, his bags packed. Mrs. Klein apparently um, had enough of him back in that, when he was their age, too, you know. But Mm. somehow... Doc still has the audacity to ask if he can come back to discuss Passover. (laughs) And that lovely eight-pager is revisionist history. So, Sean, what did you think of this? It's awesome. I mean, it really is. It is absolutely written by somebody who has both attended and probably as a child and then as a parent attended a Hebrew school 
you know, Sunday school kind of thing. Now, you know, there are a couple, I love this story. I really do. It's hilarious. And I have been Doc Sampson in this story <laughs> where you are trying to get through a story and the kids are just hung up on a, on a specific detail. Like I was t- teaching the story of Passover and the, in, in Pat Passover, you have a Seder plate and you have all these items on it and each item, like a, you know, an egg and a, and parsley and salt water and all this stuff. And it all symbolizes, it's very beautiful. It symbolizes, the, you know, the plight of the Hebrew people. But at one point you have a lamb shank. And that's because the, in that story, the, the Jews marked their doors with lamb's blood. And that's how God knew to pass them over. That's, you know, during when he's wiping out the Egyptians. And so that part of the story, you can imagine, is unbelievably cool to a young child, right? Or unbelievably terrifying. So I was trying to teach that story at one point and literally had an entire classroom go, What? Where'd they get the lamb's blood? And I was like, from their lambs. And they were like, what? And then it like turned into this whole me like, well, they did it very humanely and delicately. And all they, you know, do any of you have a family who's diabetic? They just use a, a diabetic, you know, they prick their finger like they do to test their blood. And they, and like all of a sudden there's like, you know, blood testing kits at Passover and, you know, they marked their doors. And then the wind that swept through to the other Egyptians, you know, killing the firstborn children, which is awful. That whole part is horrific. So instead of killing the firstborn children, I turned it into it, gave them the worst dirty diapers in the history of the world. I mean, it is, yeah, this story is, feels 100% true as far as, you know, a Hebrew school gone awry. The, the one issue, you know, there's a couple small little things and they're, they're mostly funny. My, my only issue with this, and I think the artist, Hebert, does a really good job. And a lot of the heavy lifting is Mike DiCarlo. You can see Mike DiCarlo's inks all over this. But he does a really good job with facial expressions and showing Leonard Sampson slowly dying, right? Because the kids are asking him all these crazy questions. But the, the one piece that I wish the artist had been able to do a little bit differently is these kids should be way mm-hmm. younger. So if this, if this is an Aleph class, these kids would be preschool. They would be you know, four, they would be like four and five. And he doesn't, you know, they, the way they're depicted, they look like they're like 10 yeah. or 11. So even when one of the kids is like, what's a century? Cause he's like many centuries ago. And he's like, Oh, it's a hundred years. That moment I was like, Oh, this kid would know that if he's the age he's depicted. So just for anybody who reads the story, an olive class would actually be like four and five year olds. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I don't know. I mean, I know I left a ton of like the jokes out and stuff, but they're they're mostly visual gags, so it's kind of hard yeah. to relate. Like, you know, when he's just like, "Hank, oh, you know, they sent the best soldiers in," and they're like, "What? No heroes?" And it's like, "Oh, you know, Wolverine and the Hulk were there." And <laughs> it's awesome, man. I even like when he goes, well, "Where's Goliath?" Because they're just <laughs> conflating all of these famous stories. And it, it's Clint Barton Goliath. It's his, it, you know, his blue Goliath costume. And Cap chucks the shield at him, which is awesome. That was a Goliath clone. It's like, oh, this is the most Marvel <laughs> answer to anything. Yep. Well, then the fact that they make this, they show the Syrians because they're like, wait, if they're soldiers, you know, they'd have guns. And all of a sudden it's yes. Frank Castle, which is awesome. I mean, it really is filled with great, yeah. just great visual gags. The, the oil is, you know, 40 weight. Yeah, it's WD forty. <laughs> the probably one of the best gags in all of this, though, is uh, like the uh, the part of the story you were talking about, where 
you know, they put idols and everything in the temple. And that one kid just chimes up, my dad's idol is Elvis. Yeah, there was Elvis <laughs> memorabilia everywhere. It's awesome. The second temple in Jerusalem is Graceland suddenly. It's awesome. And poor... No, it's it is great. I mean, it's it's filled with with great. Even though I mean, there are even some great little ones that are slipped in, where they're talking about the lamp, and it's the it's Aladdin's lamp. <laughs> like that's how they can picture it. And then he's like, "Why don't they use batteries?" And the Energizer Bunny comes trucking through, and the Hulk steps on it. I mean, it's really, you know, Peter David is a is a very funny writer. I mean, he's really good at humor, and especially at like sight gags and puns. And he definitely you know, peppers this story and Aberg, you know, and, and DiCarlo get the credit for being able to convey them so well, but he definitely peppers this with some great, you know, some really great pieces. And, you know, and I have to say the, the anvil falling on Santa at the end and all the kids starting to cry. It's interesting because that's the other reason these kids need to be depicted as younger is the kids as depicted in the story who are, you know, they look like they're about 10 or 11. They've known their whole lives that Santa not only is not is Santa not real, they've known their whole lives that Santa isn't their tradition. So Santa getting squashed by an anvil would have had the opposite reaction. They all would have been cracking up. They would have been like, oh my God, that's so funny. The reason these kids are crying is because they're four or five and they still don't understand, you know, because mm-hmm. they see Santa everywhere. So they still don't understand that Santa isn't theirs or, you know, why they can't have Santa, which is something every Jewish kid goes through. It actually is a little bit of a, you know, not only a rite of passage, but it's also a little bit of a pulling off of the band-aid of growing up in a culture where yours is not the dominant religion. And so so it's interesting, or dominant tradition, I should say. And so it's interesting, you know, that part would have been very different. The the real kids in a Hebrew school would have been cracking up, and not because they're like sadistic <laughs> little jerks, but, you know, uh, imagine for a moment. No, every 10-year-old that, is a sadistic you know, little jerk. Well, that that is actually true. But imagine for a moment that, you know, every TV show is Poochie, right? From the Simpsons. <laughs> and every, you know, shop has Poochie in it. Everything is Poochie. Everything is Poochie. And you're the, like, five people who don't like Poochie. Or not don't like it, but you don't believe in Poochie. And that's not your thing. And then, you you know, somebody sarcastically or jokingly drops an anvil on Poochie or, you know, sends him back to his home planet. And he his ship explodes and he dies <laughs> along the way. You're going to be like, oh, okay, that's kind of funny. You know, so... So, yeah, so that part is there. And there are a couple other little pieces that aren't correct. Like, you know, for example, and it's no big deal because the story is really funny. A, a yeshiva is actually, the, that term means a religious school for Orthodox Jewish boys. Yeshivas are, are all boys schools, so uh-huh. they wouldn't have a female teacher and there wouldn't be girls in, in the school with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very religious, Orthodox Jews... Um, you know, are, it's, 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 I mean, I don't want to compare it to fundamentalist Christians because I don't, some of those pieces are different, but it's kind of the, you know, I guess the, the comparison would be to somebody who would, who would technically qualify themselves as, say, born again, where there's a, a really strong adherence to, you know, the letter of the, of the texts. And so, so Orthodox Jews, for example, when they do services on Fridays, the men and women are separated by a, a, a screen in the mm-hmm. temple where for conservative and, and reformed Jews, like that doesn't happen at all. And what probably is happening is Peter David's Hebrew school 
referred to itself as a yeshiva because it was a place of Jewish learning. And, I, and I've seen other Hebrew schools do that. But but it was pretty funny because when he said yeshiva, and I looked and I was like, well, wait a minute, Mrs. Klein wouldn't be there. And there definitely wouldn't be a female student in there. And then I was like, oh, they're just calling it a yeshiva. Okay, that makes sense. So just a small thing, only, you know, it's like a, only a real Jewish person would notice. <laughs> you also just explained to me like a uh, 25-year-old Simpsons joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that Yintel puts the she in yeshiva. Yeah, that's it. Oh my exactly gosh. it. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's the whole point of that movie is that she wants to, you know, become a rabbi. She wants to study yeshiva mm-hmm. and she's not allowed to because she's a woman, which is why she dresses up as a, dresses up as a boy. And, and, you know, and, and for the people who are listening to this, who don't know much about Judaism, I don't want you to walk away thinking that's all that Judaism is. Judaism, like any other religion, again, has branches, right? Has different versions of it. And there is a much more orthodox version, the Orthodox Jews, but that's the smallest percent uh, in America anyway, or one of the smaller percentages. There, you know, most Jews in America are conservative or reform, and so in that case, Judaism is is much more cultural and communitive, and you know, and, and there's obviously a religious component for some people, though quite often Jews are not religious; they're more ethnic and spiritual. So, so it's interesting, and it is funny to get Peter David. I mean, this is. Oh my God, it's so, it is exactly what it's like teaching Hebrew school. And I'm sure anybody who's taught Sunday school is thinking the same thing. It's exactly what it's like to try to corral a bunch of kids for whom stories are, you know, superheroes winning the day and, you know, big explosions and trying to convey to them, you know, a moment that's really important in their history and try to at least give them the kernel so that when they're old enough to understand the importance, they've at least got the tradition down. But it's pretty funny. And, you know, and Jews, one of the things I did want to tell you about too, which is because this, this still cracks me up, you know, because Jews are a small percentage of Americans, you know, we, we try to have, our, we have our own traditions that go back thousands of years, but we also try to modernize them at times to make them kind of catchier for kids. And do you remember the advent of like Christian rock and Christian <laughs> rap in the 90s? You, and, and, you know, it still exists today, but, like, I remember in the 90s being like, wait, what? Like, wait, Michael W. Smith? Like, who is this? Like, what is this stuff? Like, you know, what's, I remember when I found out that Mr. Mister, that Kyrie was a song about God, and I was like, wait, what? I was like, how did a religious group get on MTV? <laughs> and so Jews have done the same thing, and one of my favorite Jewish rap groups are the Maccabees. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's real. It's Please real. tell me you have linked this to uh, Professor Allen and M. No, but I will. I will absolutely share because the Maccabees are glorious in their just shameless Jewish. I mean, they have the dope. They have dope beats. They are. They are. They are the Maccabees. They are. It's awesome. <laughs> it's really. It's so. It's so funny. I mean, look. The only legitimate Jewish rapper, you know, was. Um, oh my God! I'm totally blanking on his name. Hold on. Sorry. You're gonna have to edit this. Uh, who did one more? Oh, okay, sorry. Let me start that again. Sorry, Clinton. I didn't want you to have to edit anything. The only legitimate Jewish rapper was Modest Yahoo, you know, who did One Day, and, and I mean, he was awesome. But the, the Maccabees, if you want sheer, silly, just crazy cultural rap, that, that's a fun thing to, to do a di- deep dive into on the internet. It's pretty awesome. Oh, man. I, I'm sorry. I just lost my place. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as far as this story goes, 
This has actually been one of my favorites for nearly three decades. And, I mean, I loved it back before I even knew what Hanukkah was. And trust me, growing up in rural Oklahoma, you don't encounter very many Jewish folks. <laughs> Not a lot of Jews. Or if yeah. you do, they definitely don't tell you they're Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> the closest you get to Jew there is an Episcopalian. <laughs> Those were few and far between, too, actually. <laughs> uh, but no, the humor and heart of the story really sticks with me. And God, I know I say this for a lot of stories, but this one of any story probably needs to be like a two-minute short animated yeah. feature, you know, just, just, just out there somewhere on Disney Plus around Hanukkah. Because, oh my lord, this would be hilarious to see. It's awesome, man. It's, like you said, humor and heart. That's a perfect way to put it. It's funny. It's sweet. It's awesome to watch Doc Sampson get exasperated by this group of children. You know, and it's great. The art gags are fantastic. And and I have to say, too, you know, there's, there's an added component of just, it's really nice to see your tradition represented. Like, I, you know, representation matters. And it's really nice to have a story about Judaism in a comic that isn't about the Holocaust, mm -hmm. you know, that, that isn't about, you know, it's, it's I, the LGBTQ community talks about this a lot where they really, they want stories that aren't stories of trauma, right? They, they want stories of, you know, and of everyday life and love and, and stuff. And it's the same thing, you know, anytime you're, you're part of a smaller uh, minority, it's just really, really cool to see your tradition represented, but especially in comic books, because there's no more Jewish art form than comic books. I mean, the, the pillars of the, of comic book, creation you know lee kirby you know schuster siegel these guys are they're all jewish they were all jewish and it's there's a an undercurrent of judaism in comics that i love but i especially love the humor element of it i mean peter david is sort of the mel brooks <laughs> of of comics right like he's the you know tongue-in-cheek really funny jewish writer at least one of them tom king has those moments sometimes too but he's heavier so I, I really loved this story. And I, I was actually really like, oh my gosh, this is so cool that Clinton is the one that introduced this to me. I was like, this is the, I mean, you got to admit, as much as a cesspool as you know, Twitter can be, one of the great things about it is it has pushed our little comic book podcasting community together. You know, and, and a lot of that is due to some of the great people in it, like, you know, Shag and Rob and you and, you know, just awesome people who are super friendly. But it is really funny because I'm like, wow, what is now my favorite Jewish comic book story? I got from a guy from rural Oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> who will sometimes DM me in the middle of the night when he's at work and ask me a question about Judaism. <laughs> Which I love, by the way. <laughs> Don't feel too bad. Every so often I'll still like DM Dr. G some questions about Hinduism. And he's like, I don't practice. I'm not a practicing <laughs> yeah, like, member, but I'll, I'll look it up for you. That is the part that's so funny too. Is is we were Doctor. So for those of you who don't know, Doctor G is my podcasting partner, one of my podcasting partners on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, and he's he's Indian. And we were we were podcasting one day, and we were literally recording, and we're like lamenting the fact that you know there aren't more podcasters of color, and you know, or or you know, in our podcasting community. And all of a sudden, we look at each other, and I go, "Hey, wait a minute, dude. Um, you're Indian. I'm Jutino." we're a podcast of color. And he goes, oh my God, we are. <laughs> it was awesome because we totally didn't even think about it. <laughs> oh, it cracks me up. Oh, man. 
I know. That tells you everything you need to know about us. Oh, my. So, I mean, that that pretty well, pretty well wraps it up on this one. Um, I mean, absolutely. Do not pass this up. This is... No. As Sean said, this is probably one of the best Jewish representation stories out there, especially around the holidays. And you don't have to be Jewish. You don't even have to know what Hanukkah is if you weren't paying attention to the first, you know, 20 minutes of this. Just go out there and read it because it is dang funny and it does not mock the religious aspects at all. No. No, and I I appreciate that, actually. I'm glad you said that because I've been sort of goofy on this podcast and I mean obviously my intent is not to mock my own tradition but you know you have to I mean to be Jewish means you have to have a sense of humor and so I I love this this you're right this is a completely funny and respectful story there's and and if you are from any religious tradition where you had to attend (laughs) some version of religious school this is going to sing for you. It, it, you know, this could, this could easily have been Captain America teaching oh Sunday school. You know, it, it, you know, just there's, there, it could have been any other tradition, which is awesome. The one missed opportunity I have to tell you is, is Maccabee, the name Maccabee. That wasn't, so Judah Maccabee is the guy who led the, the revolt against the Syrians. That wasn't his actual like last name. It was an honorarium and it comes from the Arabic word Maccabah, which means hammer. <laughs> So they really should have depicted the Maccabees as Thor. That was the one big missed opportunity because Ju- Judah Maccabee was the Judah the Hammer Maccabee, right? Like he was in an early form of WWE. And it should have totally been Thor. So that was my only – the only missed opportunity in the book, the, the missed gag. And it would have been really deep, you know, inside baseball, but it would have been awesome. So wait, wait, wait. Like go, going off on a side quest here, is that the whole joke of the title of the movie Hebrew Hammer? Oh it's my part God. of it, yeah. It is because because yeah, because Maccabee means the the hammer. Yeah. By the way, Hebrew hammer. My the, my favorite moment. If you haven't seen it, it's delightful. My favorite moment in that, and I'm gonna I'll be I'll bleep myself, is when he pulls up on a gang of like you know, and, and he's about to shoot them because they're committing a crime, and he goes Shabbat Shalom, mother effers. <laughs> it is the best thing ever, and to this day, on Friday at sundown. My wife and I quite often will look at each other and I'll go, Shabbat Shalom, Mother Effa, and, and it makes us laugh every time. It's the greatest thing ever. But yes, that is Hebrew Hammer. Oh, that is. Man. See, look at that, folks. You, you get culture, you get humor, and you get comics. <laughs> it's all good. I also, I also like to imagine, and this is sacrilege, I also like to imagine that at one point Judah Maccabee like, walked into a room and they're like, oh my gosh, it's the hammer. And he goes, yes, and the hammer... <laughs> my penis <laughs> yeah because you know you gotta have some you have to you have to have a little um little sing-along in there oh and not to be confused you know with judah ben her or anything like that <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of judas <laughs> okay well sean i do appreciate you stopping by this has been great very informative let everybody know one more time where else they can find you I probably shouldn't, because um, you're all going to think that my podcasts are all some version of Hebrew school. <laughs> you can find me on the uh, Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network uh, with my buddy, my Indian buddy, Dr. G. I co-host Secret Wars and Beyond, where we cover every issue of every Marvel superhero Secret Wars miniseries. 
I co-host the Never Ending Reading Pile, where Greg Arujo and I pick a comic book character or team or series that we love and talk about it. It's it's pure nostalgia. If you are a comic collector in your 30s or 40s or above, you'll love this show. It's literally mainlining nostalgia. And then I co-host the Bat Pod with Bill Beer, where we cover every new Bat book as it comes out each month. And that show is a lot of fun. It's, it gives me a chance to talk about new books and to feel still very connected to collecting because I'm still a Wednesday warrior. But, uh, but Clinton, man, thanks for having me on. I mean, you and I are buds, and I, I love when we get to podcast together. It's always fun. You know, I, I think we crack each other up, <laughs> you know, in a way that I find really, really enjoyable. And I am proud to be your go-to Jew, and I will gladly be here whenever you need a Simpsons joke <laughs> Oh, well, you know, somewhere in there, I'm sure there's still a few more I haven't figured out quite yet. Yeah, there's some deep cuts. <laughs> We, and and no, no pun intended for being a Jew. We're, we're big fans of deep cuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, before you run off, I do want to say happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, however you want to celebrate it this year. Thank you again, Sean. Yep, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah to everybody. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. This was a nice little holiday treat. All right. And this is where I will take a quick promo break and be back with the next story. All right. Welcome back from the break, folks. If you somehow skipped ahead to this point, this is the Coffee and Comics podcast, and I am still the caffeinated Clinton Robinson. And yes, we are still plowing ahead with that Marvel holiday special. And we are now up to a story starring Thanos. And of course, if I'm covering Thanos, that means I had to bring in the expert on all things Thanos, Al Thanos Sedano. Or sorry, Sedano. <laughs> See, I knew I'd goof it up. My parents had very weird ideas about middle names. Yeah, but you know, in, in true comic book fashion, it, it kind of you'll know, your, name your is... destiny. Yes, yes, that's how it works. <laughs> So, thanks for joining me, Al. Oh, no problem. This is fun. It's, this is a fun little Thanos story. I almost forgot. I had forgotten about this. <laughs> See, that seems to be a, a combination of what I've been hearing lately on this. It's like, either I forgot about it, or I had no idea it existed, or why are you making me read this, and what blackmail <laughs> do you have on me? This is your Christmas present for the next ten years, uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, the usual. No, I did hear about this. I did buy this when it came out. So I bought this holiday special. And skimming through it, I'm remembering some of the stories, including I'm remembering the whole little, I'm not sure if you talked about it elsewhere with somebody else, but the whole little column they have about the uh, past Marvel holiday comics. I have not. No, not talking which is, about the column. Which is probably where I got most of my early no some of my early knowledge about past Marvel, since it's not like the internet existed in 93, or mm -hmm. you know, there were a lot of trades out there or anything. Oh goodness, 93. Let's see, what did we have? Uh, the Venom Saga, um, um, maybe Mutant Massacre was collected at that point. Um, I know <laughs> I had at least one or two early trades. They were like a bit oversized. Not magazine size, they're almost like newspaper strip collection size, almost. Like, you know, mm -hmm. Calvin and Hobbes or um, Doonesbury or something like that. And I had a Wolverine, the four-issue miniseries, the original one, by Claremont and Miller, 
um, the Project Pegasus Saga by for Marvel Two and One, and I think I had the Hawkeye one too, which was the original Hawkeye miniseries. Wow, they collected the Project Pegasus Saga. Think about that. That's one of the earlier comics I read. Jeez, and people talking about how everything is collected now. Yeah. Crazy, I, isn't it? Yeah, think about of all the things you could have collected back then. There. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I dug it. It's just, I, I think of like, you know, they could have collected the Kree Scroll War. They could have. Well, they might have. I don't know. I just didn't have those. <laughs> oh, those early days. <laughs> and it is kind of appropriate. We're going down memory lane here, folks. As you'll see in this story. This is Yule Memory, written by Jim Starlin, pencils by Ron Lim, inks by Terry Austin, colors by Tom Vincent, and letters by Brad Joyce. And if you're thinking this is probably where all the money for the book went, you might be right. Yeah, it was nice that it actually was Starlin and Lim doing it. So, you know, they actually got the real creators from the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If you want Cosmic Marvel in the 80s and 90s, I mean, God, you don't get much better than Starlin and Lim. No. You do not. Especially not back then, which would have been about the same time as of, let's see, Warlock and the... Oh, so we were on Warlock... Uh, we were done with Infinity Crusade by this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty sure Thanos even brings it up in like one speech bubble that Gamora is running around with Warlock in his Infinity Watch. He, you know, if he was any other character, you know, he'd be rolling his eyes, like making fun of him. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I wasn't sure where, because I mean, he kind of. This could have been anything after Infinity Gauntlet for a while, you know, during that time period. I wasn't sure exactly when. But yeah, this is during Blood and Thunder. Oh, goodness. Uh, that was definitely a story. Yes, it was. Okay, do it eventually. <laughs> but anyway, enough yeah. of that. Yeah, I was like, I, I would have a whole different podcast about Blood Thunder. That might happen. We will see. Okay, so. While cleaning out some old storage, Thanos comes across a doll that once belonged to Gamora when she was a child. He reminds readers just who Gamora is, and then Thanos relates that uh, he had given the doll to her when she was roughly five as a gift, since for some reason they celebrated the holiday of Yule that predates Christmas. Yeah. Thanos <laughs> continues to tell the story, saying Gamora asked if they can perhaps visit the lagoon and watch the dolphins later on. Thanos, of course, dismisses this with the typical parental, perhaps... Even in those older days, Thanos was the target of revenge for his actions. An assassin manages to infiltrate his base, but Gamora manages to distract the assassin by throwing the doll at his head. This gives Thanos time to turn and destroy him. The doll gets damaged in the process, and you know he rewards Gamora for saving his life by agreeing to go see the dolphins. Gamora, in possibly one of the saddest moments out there, says that she doesn't want a replacement for the doll, even though Thanos offers. 
and that she will nurse the small toy back to health. The doll is still shown to have burn marks when we return to the present. After the story, Thanos tells his robots to dispose of the doll with the rest of the garbage, and Thanos becomes angered that he still has emotional attachment to a memory, or basically attachment to anything. After all, caring is for the weak, and there is nothing weak about mighty Thanos. Right? Dun dun dun! And that is, you know, all the eight-page glory that is your memory. Mm-hmm. It looks great. <laughs> yes, it does. So, Al, I gotta ask, is this a holiday story? Yeah, sort of. Took place on Christmas. Of course, if it wasn't for Christmas, Gamora wouldn't have the doll, and therefore wouldn't have saved Thanos, and Thanos would be dead. <laughs> I guess my my ranking on it is, is it more of a holiday story than a Hallmark Christmas movie? No. <laughs> it's not? It's up there with uh, Die Hard, which I think is a Christmas movie. <laughs> but yeah, it, it can go, as my wife, my wife says, it goes in the category of dark Christmas movies. Oh, okay. Okay. See, know, I, was just, I was just going along the lines of, is it a story set at Christmas? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how she puts is, it. Like, she puts it yeah. as dark Christmas stories. Like, they're, you know, these are stories that are Christmas stories. Christmas is inter- inherent in the story. Without Christmas, the story does not happen. But it's not Christmassy. You know, there's no moral of peace and love and joy to mankind, and she- it's about giving and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The, I mean, bringing, I, I don't like to, but. You know, bringing comparisons to some of the other stories in the book, this one's kind of like a middle of the road. This is, it's definitely not like the New Warrior story that's earlier on. That is sappy oh, Christmas, you know, yeah. ramped up to 11. Yeah, where Speedball says, my gift is, you know, thank you for being my friends. It's like, yeah, I think that, like, it's like, wait, did you guys steal the script from one of the Saved by the Bell holiday episodes? Hold on. <laughs> Let me go back and look. Well, given the way they're drawn in that, yeah, I can totally see Speedball being Zach Morris. Like, isn't that the... Wait, wait, wasn't that the moral at the end of the one, the Tali thing, where they had to get jobs at the mall and they learned, they found the girl who was living homeless with her father? <laughs> no, the moral of that one was Zach's family's freaking rich and needs to pay for everybody. Ah. <laughs> there's a moral in there somewhere. Why are you not doing a Saved by the Bell podcast? <laughs> You and Tom Panarese did just get together and just okay. That stuff well. sticks in my head so well. I don't know why. I watched. I remember the first time I watched Chuck, and I'm like, I know the sister. That's from Saved by the Bell, the new class. And my roommate looked at me and goes, "How the hell do you know that?" I go, "I don't know, but I wish I didn't, but I do." <laughs> the, the fact that I you know heavily. anybody from Saved by the Bell, the new class. Then I drank heavily. Mm. Not just. Saved by the Bell of the College Years. Saved by the Bell of the New Class. Oh, I remember that one, too. <laughs> oh. But anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this, this is... This is you, definitely... It, it's not, like, full-on sappy holiday story, but it definitely works. Yeah. Now, I will say one thing for the story. While it's a little off with the, the Thanos we usually see in the comics. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, maybe I can go with... I Maybe he... You know, I mean... It would make more sense for a character like Thanos that in raising a child like Amora 
it would be more military indoctrination type instead of trying to give her give him a give her a familial mm-hmm. love of him because if she wants to give him a familial love which is another way of doing that i would think then thinking that her saying thank you and stuff would be you know it was weak was a sign of weakness does not go together you know the two things contradict so this doesn't you know it's not fully that but this does kind of work with movie thanos mm-hmm because, I mean, after all, different motivations. You know, still crazy, but movie Thanos was doing everything he did because he cared. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so, I mean, you could kind of work this in as a story of movie Thanos, not comic Thanos, not 616 Thanos, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it seemed really off for him to be like, yeah, I wanted to give her a halfway normal childhood while I train her to be an assassin to just you know, blindly murder everyone. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. So One I mean, or the other Thanos. <laughs> you can't walk yeah. on both sides of the street here. Because, yeah, I mean, remember, Comic Thanos got recruited Gamora just because she would be useful to him to kill the Magus. Movie Thanos got with Gamora. It's almost like if you watch, remember if you watch the movie, it's almost like he liked the little girl. Mm-hmm. So this kind of works better for that. Plus, if she's only five, I mean, she's a couple years older than Nebula. There would be no Nebula yet. So it fits in for that, I think. So that's how I had Ken in it. It's more Movie Thanos, not six one six. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know, uh, like how well versed you are in. Dragon Ball Z, but the the scene where uh, Thanos agrees to go see the dolphins after getting saved, it reminds me of the uh, the scene where Vegeta and Trunks are training, and he's like, if you can hit me, I promise we'll go to the park. <laughs> yeah, then Trunks I actually don't... manages to hit him, and it's like, you know, you know, he spends a couple minutes yelling at him, and it's like, fine, get your stuff, we're going to the park. We're going to the damn park! Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've seen that one, but I've seen enough to have to get it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the same level of, like, parental, like, okay, you totally, you did a thing. Now i got to live up my end of the bargain. Dang it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Who knew you would do this? I figured, I didn't know anything good would happen. Mm-hmm. Although, maybe Thanos learned a lesson here. By giving, he saved his own life. Oh. Uh-huh. Ah, see, there we go. Maybe it is a holiday story on a deeper level after all. Then also with a valuable lesson. By giving, I keep myself around more often to kill, longer to kill people. <laughs> oh, and thus was Santa Thanos born, who became <laughs> the who became the prototype for the Futurama robot Santa. Oh God, that's right. <laughs> Okay, I'm not going to lie, folks. This one does actually kind of pull a tear from my eye because, I mean, I I was an only child with few close friends, you know, comic nerd, go figure. And uh, kind of grew up with, with a fairly strong attachment to toys. So seeing Gamora's toy get pretty well burned up and her reaction to it, that's a heartstring tugger for me, folks. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm not an only child, but my siblings, none of my siblings were born until I was at least five. So, 
Yeah. Up until so. that age, I could kind of relate with that. Like, I can remember my attachments to some like, one or two of my toys I had. So, yeah, seeing them destroyed would would have killed me back then. Mm-hmm. I would have cried. I would cry more than Gamora did. I'm impressed. Yeah, and I mean, even though her face is in shadow when she turns away, you can tell she's she's over there like doing everything she can to not cry in front of Thanos. Yeah, Dolly will be okay. Damn. <laughs> Poor little Zoe Saldana. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, overall, this is one of my favorites from the book. It always has been. It's well written. All the art totally pops. But, I mean, overall, it's just... I know I keep kind of riding it like it's not a Christmas story, but it really is. And it, just because it's not the big sappy production of It's a Wonderful Life or something, it doesn't mean it's not a good story. Correct. It's a different type of Christmas story. Mm-hmm. I still wonder why they, you know, they picked Yule of all things. And not to not that sounds like I'm picking on Yule. I'm not picking on Yule. It's Thanos lives on Titan. Why in the world does he pick Yule? Well, to be fair, his dad's from Earth. That's true. Although I don't know what I'm not sure exactly how long ago his dad left Earth, so not even Yule might have existed yet. But still, you know, let's go with that part. Maybe there was a pamphlet in his helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> You know, somebody just came along, like, left it on the windshield one day. Like, hey, there's a Thanos copter. Let's <laughs> let's leave some literature. He threw it in the glove box like everyone else does with that stuff. And one of the one day he goes cleaning it out. He's like, hey, hmm, could be useful. <laughs> yeah, that's a good enough excuse anyway. That works. Uh, well, I Otherwise, think I... No, go ahead. Now I'll say, and that's probably good enough for there, because otherwise I'm imagining, like, Thanos cleaning out the copter, and does this mean, like, is this like a 70s, and he's a 70s character, is this like a 70s car wash scene where Thanos is in a bikini and, you know, shorts, <laughs> cleaning out the, washing the copter? I thought you were going to say he comes across, like, old takeout menus, and he's like, why is this restaurant closed? It looks so awesome. Well, you haven't been back to Earth in, like, three decades, Master Thanos. No, oh, the- no, but the back seats of the copter was full of parking tickets. <laughs> oh. He's Thanos. He just crumples them up and tosses them in the back. He does not care. Mm. Of course not, because caring is for the weak. Yes. Oh, segues right back. <laughs> uh, well, that pretty much sums up everything I had on this one. Did you have something else to add, Al? I think we sucked everything out of these eight pages we could. Alrighty, so uh, if you want to let everybody know where else they can find you. Sure. You can go find me on Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, which is all about Adam Marvel characters, Adam Warlock and Thanos. I mean, it's right in the title. Why do we ask me these questions about what it's about? Come on. Listen. Listen. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos on whatever podcatcher you use, or you can go to our uh, main page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. And in a better universe, you can also find him on the Safe by the Bell fan cast. 
I forgot about that. I should have been drinking when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Well, this is where we take another quick promo break, and I will be back with something once I decide on the editing. Tell me his name again. Thanos. I think I shall call him... Adam. But return to me again empty-handed. I will bathe the stairways in your blood. Thanks, Dad. Sounds fair. Korvac's power grows, as does his madness. He would have destroyed us all had I not pulled us into the soul gem. Then, Thanos, I'm coming for you. After Xandar, you were going to kill my father? You dare to oppose me. You see what he has turned me into? You kill him, I will help you destroy a thousand planets. It's all right, Adam. We're here to help. Just stay cool. Uh, I don't want to be here! Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Five years and going strong. Every other week. Mostly. For all of your Adam Warlock, Thanos, or Marvel Cosmic needs, find it on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are available. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com Adam Warlock, you cannot keep leaving your philosophy books open on the floor. I always trip on them in the middle of the night on my way to the can. Hey everybody, Clinton here. Uh, big thanks to Sean and Al for joining me on this episode. I really appreciate it, guys. I hope everybody had a fun time chatting with or listening to me chat with these guys. Well, I hope they had fun chatting with me, too, but you know. Anyway, that pretty much wraps up part three of this. So we're three quarters of the way through, folks. One more entry to go. So I hope you'll stick with me and come back and listen to the final installment. So until next time, this is the place where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsplg. Thank you.